So another good morning to those of you that have joined us either online or in the building since uh, our first welcome. Uh, it's so good to have you with us. Um, we're continuing our series, as Tim said, on calling today. And um, this morning we're going to talk about how do we recognize or how do we find uh, our calling. A number of years ago, uh, many of you will have been to uh, New Wine. New Wine, for those of you that don't know, is a, a big summer conference or has been a very big summer conference over the years. And I was sitting in the main arena on uh, one of the evenings uh, a few years ago and the speaker asked from the stage as part of what he was saying, he just asked the question, threw out the question into the audience, how many of you know what your calling is? Something like that. And uh, he asked people to put up their hands or if they knew what their calling was. And only a fraction of the people in the room, and there must have been four or 5,000 people in the room, could actually put up their hands with confidence to say, uh, I know what I'm called to, I know what my calling is. And it just illustrated for me that evening uh, that, and I'm, I'm sure it's true for many of us, that this whole area of calling can be an issue of real or an area of real confusion. Uh, you know, how do we know what God's speaking? How do we know uh, what God's calling us to? How do we know what we have been called to? So I hope uh, if that's an area for you where you'd love more clarity, I hope you find it as we look at this, this issue, this area, this subject of calling over these weeks. Because God is not a God of confusion. He doesn't want us to be confused about calling, our calling, about the nature of calling. He doesn't play tricks on us. I think we humans have the ability to make an awful lot of stuff about the kingdom really complicated when Jesus has actually made it really simple, but just said, trust me. And trusting seems a bit harder, so we tend to make a lot of things more complicated. So I hope we're going to find a bit of clarity again this morning, but let me remind you that clarity isn't the same as certainty. So if you're looking for real certainty in this area of calling, I'm not sure that we're going to find it, but if you want some clarity on the principles and the practices and the way that God deals with us, I hope that you will. Because many of us have got questions, as that new wine experience uh, suggested. How can I be sure of God's purpose for my life? You know, I love God, I love my family, and I love him, and I want to serve him. What has God got for me? What does he want to do me to do with the days that I've got left? You know, for some of us, there'll be loads and loads and loads of days, and some of us, there'll be fewer days. But what does he want to do with the time that I've got left? What's he calling me to do with my resources, with my gifts, with my energy, with my time? And they're really normal questions because they're connected to our deep human need for purpose and significance and to be connected to something much bigger than us. But I think the reason why there can be so often uh, confusion around this area of calling uh, for Christians and for others, but for Christians especially, is because our culture attaches some concepts to this area of calling that aren't necessarily biblical. The culture uses the term calling just as the way we use the calling, but uses it in a different way. So we hear people talking about finding your calling as if it's kind of like finding a bunch of keys. You know, I'm known as the person in their family who loses everything. I lose my phone, I lose my keys, I lose my glasses, you know, I lose everything. And actually, if I want to go out in my car, I need to find my keys. And so everybody in the family has to help until I find my keys, you know. But finding our calling isn't as simple as finding our keys. And the bunch of keys uh, in the way that culture talks about calling can often end up being reduced to something like a role or a job or a profession or a vocation, as if calling is limited to that and we, we've become so um, 
Well, we've become a culture that finds our identity increasingly in the things that we do, don't we? As Tim was saying last week, we're so achievement-orientated that we can end up finding our identity in our, in our job or our role or our profession or our vocation and finding it there, which is why the pressure then to find our calling and our purpose is so massive. And God wants to relieve us of this pressure of finding the thing that's going to give us significance and purpose, which is why we want to wrestle with the true nature of calling as opposed to the cultural equivalent of it that Stephen Furtick describes in rather brutal terms as basically encouraging us to do or pursue something that God has never told us to do by self-help, aiming at self-help, individualistic, ambition-orientated desires. I think there's a bit of truth in that somewhere. And for those of us in church, we can sometimes dress it up with Christian jargon, but subscribe to the same kind of principles. So let's allow God to kind of help us as we think about this and separate what the culture might be sort of feeding us message-wise about calling and what the Bible does. So let's just bust a few of the myths around, the, the cultural myths maybe, around this area of calling before we dig into the Bible. First thing, we don't have to find our calling. You know, when your phone goes off, you know, in your pocket or your bag or wherever it is, and that's one of the things I lose. (laughs) When the phone goes off, somebody's calling me. All I have to do is pick it up and respond. That's my responsibility, to respond. There's no biblical command to find our call. Nowhere in the Bible does Jesus say, find your call. Find out what God wants you to do. It's not like finding our keys. So if we, it's about how we respond to the things that God is doing and God's saying. So if we're going to live the life that he's called us to and make the impact that he's designed for us to make and become the people that he's intended us uh, to be, we just need to be good at responding. We need to get good at responding. Secondly, there is not just one calling. There is not one calling for your life. There is not one thing you need to find and then do and then you can sail off into the sunset because you found it. God gives each one of us multiple callings multiple callings. The call of Moses, you know, we we read about the call of Moses in the Bible, don't we, in Exodus. We were looking at it earlier this year. Aged 80, God calls him to lead the Israelites out of Egypt and lead them into the promised land or towards the promised land. Are we saying, or we would be saying, if we believe that there was one calling, that for the previous 80 years of his life, Moses was not fulfilling God's call on his life and his purposes for him? We don't think that, do we? We don't believe that. That was just a new call, praise the Lord, at the age of 80. A new assignment for Moses. God has multiple callings and assignments for each of us. And Tim spoke about this last week. The primary foundational calling being to know him. And this week isn't, well, well, that was, last week was point A. We now know about that. We're called to know God, so we're going to move on to point B. We're building on that foundational calling of knowing him. And if we don't know him, anything else we talk about for the rest of these, uh, this month will fall to the ground. We're called to know him, to be his child, to learn to live in relationship with him, to learn to live in his love and to learn to express his love to others. That is our foundational calling. And isn't it interesting? 
You know, Jesus, who had multiple callings to reveal the Father, to destroy the devil's works, to, to open the way into heaven, you know, to be crucified as our saviour. When he was baptised and introduced onto the world stage, God didn't say, as he was going down into the River Jordan, look, here's my son. He's going to be your saviour, your rescuer, a great teacher and everything else. List, list, listing off the assignments he'd given Jesus. What did he say? He's my son. Identifying Jesus by his primary calling to be a son. Relational. God is all about relationship. And it's not that our assignments aren't important, but if they don't flow out of our relationship, we won't fulfill our assignments in the way that we've been intended to. So you've got lots of assignments over your lives, uh, lots of callings. I I find it quite uh, helpful to use the words interchangeably. It kind of slightly punctures this notion of this, you know, great big calling thing. You've got lots of assignments over your lives to be a wife or a husband or a father or a mother or a daughter or a grandparent or a dentist or a life group leader or a worship leader or a school governor or a, um, a lawyer or a community leader or a miracle worker or a witness. We've all got multiple callings on our lives, some of them simultaneously, some of them at different times. Moses' calling when he was 80 happened towards the end of his life. And I just want to say and flag it up again before we move on that culture undervalues our relational callings. You know, we live in an age where relational callings to be a great wife or a great husband or a great father or a great daughter who honours her parents or a great friend or a great neighbour, culture undermines and undervalues those relational callings and puts all the emphasis on my calling to make a difference in the world through my achievements and my success or whatever. And they're both important, but but too many of the relational callings get sacrificed on the altar of the vocational callings. You know, let's just be reminded of that today. So there is not just one calling. We don't have to find it. And I want to say using Hill's language, there are Logos callings and there are Rhema callings. So by logos, I mean the general callings that are listed in God's word that are true for all of us because we belong to him. So things like loving God and loving my neighbor as myself. That's a logos calling. It's written in his word. It's clear as mustard and it's true for all of us. Things like being a witness. Now, again, written in his word, true for every single one of us. Called to seek first the kingdom of God. That's one of my callings, to seek first the kingdom of God. It's one of yours. It's in his word. It's a logos calling. It's true for all of us if we belong to him. And by the way, the word calling in the New Testament is only used in relationship to being called into relationship with God. So all of these are an outworking of that calling. Uh, So, you know, you might want to put, as I said, the, the word assignment on there. So the call to make a difference in the world and to use our abilities and our skills and to follow our passions and our desires, that is, you know, God has put that stuff within us. You know, that's part of his kingdom work in us to make a difference. Jesus said, I've called you to bear fruit. You know, that concept of producing fruit in our lives as we walk with him. Again, it's fruit that's connected to relationship with him. So the call, your desire to live an impactful, fruitful life is a God-given desire. It's why we care about trying to find out what God has called us to. So there are logos callings, but then there are rhema callings, the kind of personal, God-breathed, individual callings or assignments given to each one of us that are as different and as unique as we are. 
So you, we will all share a lot of Logos callings together, and then we will have our own individual Rhema callings. That is God's call, his assignments for you because of who you are and what he's put in your heart and the gifts that he's put, the stuff that he's put in your hands. And Moses' call, that was a Rhema calling, wasn't it? It was his particular call at that point in his life. Friend of ours, particular call two years ago to move his family to the States and to start up a manufacturing company to employ people in that area with no, no work. You know, that was a particular Rhema call as he was working out his Logos call of being uh, a son in relationship with his dad. So let's not, let's remember as we talk about, because I want to talk about uh, how we sort of position ourselves for the rhema calls of God, those rhema assignments, let's not forget that they come in the context of these logos assignments. So if you've got a Bible, let's open it. And we're going to actually go back to the passage we were in last week, because it's such a rich passage. Uh, and pick up where Tim left off, not because he didn't do a good job, but because there's so much to say from that brilliant passage. So it's in 1 Samuel chapter 3. The verses will come up on the screen. And I'm going to read the first verse and then from verse 7 to the end of the chapter. So, uh, so we've got, meanwhile, Samuel is serving the Lord by assisting Eli, who was the priest. His mother had, I'm not going to recap because it was on last week's talk, and if you haven't heard it, it was a great talk, so go back. But Samuel is positioned in the house of the Lord as his mother has, had, um, you know, given him to God by uh, putting him in the temple and letting him serve with Eli. So verse 7, God has begun to call Samuel, and Samuel isn't sure who is calling him, so he goes to the priest and says, why are you calling me? So Samuel didn't know the Lord yet because he had never had a message from the Lord before. So the Lord called a third time. So obviously he's called twice before. The Lord called a third time, and once more Samuel got up and goes to Eli and says, here I am, did you call me? This has happened three times. So suddenly... Eli realizes that this is Sam, uh, the Lord calling the boy. So he says to Samuel, go and lie down again. And if someone calls again, say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So Samuel goes back to bed. And the Lord came and called as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel replied, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And then the Lord says to him, I'm about to do a shocking thing in Israel. I'm going to carry out all my threats against Eli and his family from beginning to end. I've warned him that judgment is coming upon his family forever. That's part of the way God expresses his love to us as a good father. He warns us uh, coming on his family forever because his sons are blaspheming God and he hasn't disciplined them. So I vowed that the sins of Eli and his sons will never be forgiven by sacrifices or offerings. Samuel stayed in bed until morning, and then he got up. He opened the doors of the tabernacle as usual. But he was afraid to tell Eli what the Lord had said to him. But Eli called out to him, Samuel, my son. Here I am, said Samuel. Isn't that a brilliant phrase? Can you imagine how much we would do for the Lord in this world if if one of our regular um, sort of sentences to him or one of our regular comments to him was, here I am, here I am. I love it. Samuel's heart attitude. Here I am. When did the Lord, what did the Lord say to you, Eli said? Tell me everything, and may God strike you and even kill you if you hide anything from me. Well, that feels a bit harsh, doesn't it? Poor little chap. He's got this man, but you know, Eli's desperate to know what God had said. Again, brilliant heart posture. How desperate are we to know what God is saying to us, to our church, you know, whatever. So Samuel told Eli everything. He didn't hold anything back. It's the Lord's will. 
Eli replied, let him do what he thinks best. As Samuel grew up, the Lord was with him, and everything Samuel said proved to be reliable. And all Israel, from Dan in the north to Beersheba in the south, knew that Samuel was confirmed as a prophet of the Lord. So take note. As we dig into this passage a little bit, take note. God does not say in his calling to Samuel, Samuel, I'm calling you to be a prophet to the nation Israel. He speaks to Samuel and starts talking to him. And Samuel starts walking with the Lord and getting to know him and learning to obey him. And what does it say at the end of the text? And all Israel knew that Samuel was confirmed as a prophet of the Lord. So we know Samuel is the prophet and that that was God's calling on his life. But this isn't a story about God saying, right, here's your calling. Off you go, fulfill it. It became evident to the nation and then ultimately to Samuel as he did his journey with God. So we don't make our calling happen. We don't find our calling. Samuel didn't find his calling on this evening, but he was positioned to receive God's uh, invitation to respond to that led to the outworking of a calling or one particular calling, one particular assignment on his life. So I want to flip this round slightly and look at three things that that will enable us to make sure that we don't miss God's callings, his assignments on our life. We don't need to go looking for them. We don't need to go hunting for them. Samuel wasn't sitting there praying, 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 God, give me a calling, give me a calling. He was walking with the Lord, but he didn't miss it when God came and gave him a fresh assignment. What can we do to make sure that we don't miss God's assignments for us? The first one, and again, these aren't radical, we need reminding of them, is to serve in our surroundings, to serve where we are, to get behind God's purposes and to live out his logos calling where we are. Because the process of discovering and discerning God's assignments to us most often happens as as we do what he has already told us to do. So look at verse 1. Samuel was serving the Lord by assisting Eli. He wasn't sitting there doing nothing He wasn't kind of immobile because I haven't heard the calling of the Lord on my life. He was busy serving somebody else's vision, somebody else's needs, serving in his surroundings, doing what he had to do in front of him. And in that place of serving in his surroundings, God then came and spoke something fresh to him. And most of the time, God's calls to us, his invitations to step into new assignments come in the context of serving his logos calling, his logos assignments for us where we are. Looking for the ways and stepping into the ways to bless the people around us, whether that's in the office, whether it's at the school gate, whether it's in the gym, you know, whether it's in your life group, wherever. And I understand that this can be really challenging, which is why sometimes the cultural notion of you know, a great big calling with you know, fanfares and you know, once I've found it, I can set off into the sunset, this can be really challenging for us. Because sometimes the stuff that's in front of us and blessing, you know, blessing my husband by changing a horrible nappy or getting up in the middle of the night so he can sleep through the night or blessing my neighbour by inviting them round when actually I'm really tired and I wanted to have you know, some time on my own or whatever or doing the photocopying when somebody else should have done it and it means I'm going to go home 10 minutes late, whatever it is. Some of that stuff 
feels like it's not really connected to the desires and the dreams and the longings we have to make you know, a greater impact and to serve some more significant purposes of God in our lives. And so it doesn't kind of feel sexy. It doesn't feel like it's connected to a kind of calling to bear fruit. And yet God's interested in how well we respond to and put into practice his logos calling, which is to serve. That's what Jesus said, isn't it? If you, you know, as he served his disciples by washing their feet, it was, you know, if you love me, you will do this too. So how good are we at serving in our surroundings? Getting on with the current assignment that God has given us. Because that's what Samuel was doing. And because he was doing that, he was positioned for when God wanted to speak to him and, um, you know, give him his next assignment. And often God will, 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 will leave us in that place, you know, doing that stuff that feels so disconnected to the sort of glamorous stuff we want to be doing to test our hearts. You know, there's a lot in the Bible about God testing our hearts. It's like, what are you really after? Are you after my purposes for you and my desires for you? Or are you after your thing, your calling, your dreams, your passions, whatever? And it's not that he doesn't care about our dreams and our passions. But sometimes he takes that, well, most of the time, he takes us around quite a deviant route. So when, when God called David, what was he doing? He was serving his father, looking after the flocks in the fields on his own. When God called Esther to save his people, she was just trying to be a great wife to King Xerxes. Whatever we think about what kings were like in those days, she was doing her best to serve him, which is why she had favor with him, which is why he listened to her when God said, I want you to save my people to going to see the king and by going and seeing the king. Samuel wasn't looking to find a calling. He was serving somebody else's. And in doing his best by serving God that way, God came and spoke to him. Second thing. So we need to be serving in our surroundings. The second thing, we need to be putting all our energy in learning to listen. Again, Tim spoke about this a bit more. Who starts the conversation in this story? God does. Everything in the kingdom, everything that happens that has eternal significance for the kingdom of God begins with God. Everything begins with God. And in this scenario, this conversation, God begins it. He calls. He calls, we get to respond. He offers an invitation, we get to RSVP. He offers us an assignment and we get to say yes or no. We can tell him the kind of things that we'd like to do, to pray about all things. But when he moves, he's the one that, that takes the initiative. And we need to learn to hear his voice. Do you know, it always amazes me how many Christians seem to think that God's will can be determined by what happens in our circumstances. That, you know, if God's going to let something happen, he'll open a door. And if God isn't going to let something happen, he'll close a door. And somehow it doesn't involve, and his, God's guidance and his invitations don't involve listening to his voice. What does Jesus say in John chapter 10? He says, my sheep know my voice. He doesn't say his sheep follow him because they have no choice, because their circumstances are forcing them to follow him. He says, my sheep know my voice, and that's why they follow me. Paul says it's slightly different. He says in Romans 8.14, the children of God are led by the Spirit of God, not by their circumstances. So absolutely, circumstances, opportunities, openings provide a really important part of God uh, leading us into those assignments. And opportunities come along and we need to discern whether they're from him. But we need to be listening to his voice, becoming familiar with his voice, not so that we can, just so that we can know when he speaks what our assignments will be. 
We need to know his voice so we can have a relationship with him, which is what we've been invited into, which is what all of this flows out of. But if we know his voice, we'll recognize it when he speaks to us. Jeremiah 29, 11, God says, I know the plans I've got for you. And he doesn't say, I'm going to tell you all of the plans so you can go off and be independent and do your own thing and find your own way and fulfill them on your own. He says, I know the plans I've got for you. And if we walk with him and if we trust him and if we co-partner with him, we will end up discovering those plans and living them out, whether he's made them clear to us in advance or not. Jesus is not after robots. He's not after servants. He's after friends. And friends know each other. They know each other's voices. They talk and share you know, all kinds of things. And in the context of friendship, they do things together as well. How, how much energy are you putting into listening, learning to listen for God's voice? Eli, Samuel didn't recognize God's voice. It sounded like a voice that he'd heard before. He thought it was Eli. I used to think that if I was going to hear God's voice, you know, there'd be this sort of, you know, writing in the sky, that, you know, a bit like a sort of fireworks going off, that it would be something completely different to every other, you know, thought or sound I ever heard, and I would know it was God. Because surely if God speaks, I would know it was him. And it took me a long time to learn to recognize his voice and to begin to separate that thought in my head as being God's voice, separate from my other thoughts. And God speaks to you through your frustrations. He speaks to you through your desires. He speaks to you through some of your circumstances. He speaks to you through other people. But all of the things other people say and all of the desires that you have and all the frustrations that you have and all the thoughts that you have, they're not God. So how are you going to learn which ones are God and which ones are just you or you know, other people's voices or whatever? We need to learn to recognize his voice. And there are two Elis. You know, Samuel went to Eli. Eli helped Samuel to learn. We have two Elis. The Bible is one of them. We cannot learn to recognize God's voice without reading and knowing the Bible. And we have other Elis that God has positioned in our lives to help us learn. Is that God's voice? This is what I think he might be saying. Is this God? Who are the Elis in your life that you go to to help you, you know, recognize? Is this God's voice? Is this God speaking to me? Because we need to learn to hear his voice, and it's a process. It's a process. And of course, circumstances play their part. But there are all kinds of circumstances and opportunities that open up for us that aren't God's will for us. So unless we've learned to recognize his voice, how do we know which ones to step into and which ones not to? John chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. Jesus says this, I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him everything he is doing. In fact, the father will show him how to do even greater works than healing this man. Isn't that just a beautiful description of this partnership? Father, son, friends. You know, there's the father showing Jesus what he's doing. What does that mean? He didn't play a screen in his mind. He heard the voice of God. That's why he spent so much time, you know, up a hillside praying or whatever. He put the energy into his relationship with the father and listening to his voice, getting on with his logos assignments. And God showed him the rhema specific assignments as they came along. That's what he wants to do with us. And interestingly, little side note, God came and spoke to Samuel when Samuel was lying down, going to sleep. And I think there's something about rest Something about being still, something about being in that place where there's not an awful lot else going on. And I know we day, 
you know, these days we have phones that we could be, <laughs> you know, reading or watching or listening to as we're going to sleep. But Samuel was in that place of quiet stillness on his own. And that's where God came and found him. How much of that's quiet, still, on our own time do we have for God to come and find us? Because God doesn't shout. I hope you know that. God doesn't shout above all the other noise. God whispers. And it's up to us. How much do we want to hear him? Are we going to dial down the noise? Tim was speaking about that last week. So last thing, serving in our surroundings, learning to listen. And last thing, if we're practicing strengthening our yes on a daily basis, again, we're going to be prepared for when God comes along with one of his assignments. I'm sure we'll talk more about this next week. But um, how easily and how often we say yes to God actually makes a difference to what happens when God comes along with something specific for us to do or an opportunity that is him to step into that's going to lead to more of the assignment, more of the calling that he has for us. You know, we don't often know what they are for sure. They're just hunches. I think God might be asking me to do this. I think God might be, you know, inviting me to step into this. But the more we've practiced saying yes to God on a daily basis the easier it will be to say yes, because so often the things that God asks us to do that are part of our assignment and moving on into our calling are difficult. What was the first thing he asked Samuel to do as he began this journey into becoming a prophet? Look at the end of that verse, well, the end of that passage. He has to say to Eli, he has to tell Eli something he doesn't want to tell him. He doesn't want to upset this old man that he loves, that God's basically going to judge your family. That's a really tough call for a young boy. That was a tough yes for Samuel. He could so easily have said no and missed, you know, the journey towards this fulfillment of becoming a prophet of God's. But Samuel had learned to say yes to his Logos callings. So he was positioned to say yes when actually it was quite a tough invitation. You know, my sister... Uh, a particular point in my li- her life was really seeking God's call on her life with regards to her work and had been really contending. And then the next day, she, uh, a whole load of people in her firm were offered redundancy. And actually, they didn't want to make her redundant, but she knew it was God's voice. And it was a really tough thing to do, to accept redundancy, kind of going into you know, an empty future. But she knew it was God's voice, and so she said yes when everyone around her, including my parents, was saying no. But actually, it was, a, it was a door that she chose to step through that didn't kind of make sense financially or anything else that in the end led to, uh, you know, an opening up of an incredible sort of assignment on her life from the Lord. If we're going to say yes to the tough things, we've got to get good at saying yes to the slightly less tough things. And actually, a journey with the Lord into his kingdom purposes for us is just a summary, isn't it? It's a summary of yeses, everyday yeses to Jesus. Not one big yes when there's a burning bush. (laughs) Everyday yeses, everyday yeses. And the more we say yes, the easier it is, like I said, when when it becomes a bit tougher to say yes. A number of years ago, quite a few years ago now, I left university and I was beginning my job, my first ever job with Pricewaterhouse to become a chartered accountant. And if you had told me then what I know now, that I would end up getting married, becoming the mother to four young adults, um, starting a women's uh, conference with one of my closest friends that um, ministered to thousands and thousands of women, that I've had the opportunity to speak to, to thousands of people both here and overseas, to publish a book, whatever, 
I would have either laughed in your face if somebody had told me that at the time, or I would have crumpled in fear. I don't know which. But actually, you know, I have stepped into a number of different assignments and callings on my life, not because God said at the outset, this is what I'm calling you to, but through serving in my surroundings, learning, really learning and valuing how to hear the voice of God, and then saying yes to some of the toughest things that actually everything within me wanted to say no to. And I know for some people there are very unusual circumstances where, you know, you're you're King David and someone comes along and anoints you to be king and that's it. And, you know, our queen, our amazing queen, she's had no choice with one of her main assignments on her life, has she? She was born into it and had no choice about it. But for most of us, this journey with the Lord is a day-by-day journey of, of, of responding to his logos callings on our life listening to his voice because we care about him and him being our prize more than what we do for him being the prize and saying yes to those difficult invitations as well as the more straightforward ones he says i know the plans that i have for you i know them and psalm 138 verse 8 says the lord will fulfill his plans for my life